Hello, and welcome to Sobertown Podcast. I'm your host, Viv, and some of you know me as Sober I Thrive. Make sure to visit our website on SobertownPodcast.com. You will find our free Zoom calendars, Todd's modules for your sober toolbox, sober recovery stories, and our link to the Sobertown Facebook group on SobertownPodcast.com. I'll chat with guests and community members about topics related to sobriety and recovery. There are also a couple of sober communities called Boom, Rethink the Drink, and the I Am Sober app, where most of our website contributors met for SoberTownPodcast.com. Hello, Sobertown. It is my great pleasure to introduce our next guest. She is someone that is near and dear to my heart. We have met in real life, but I will allow her and let her do the introduction of herself. And as I build this monumentous buildup, you will know who she is on IAS, the I Am Sober app. I present to you the sober recovery story of the hero's journey of Sheffy. Well, wow. Thanks, Viv. That was a monumental buildup. Yeah, so I'm Sheffy. I am two years, 10 months, six days, 13 hours, 52 minutes, and seven, eight, nine seconds sober. It's a real pleasure to be here today. And I will say that several people have asked me to do an interview and I never quite felt like it was right until you asked me. So I am happy to be here. You always make everybody feel very comfortable and welcome. So you're easy to talk to and I enjoy visiting with you. So I'm excited. I'm excited. My sister from another mister. Take us back. Take us back. How did little Sheffy begin her journey? Yeah. Well, I started experimenting with alcohol and weed in my teens. And I, the funny part is, you know, that weed was easier for me to get than alcohol since I was under 21. And so that was kind of my go-to for probably from like 16 to 18. But I would drink occasionally at, at parties. And I do remember several blackouts. And I had lots of angels that got me home safely most of the time. But my drinking started amping up when I was in college and turned of age and it was easier for me to get. And it was like I was in college and it was just, of course, more socially acceptable. So it was let me pause, though, and say I remember, though, in those in those early teen days, well, in my teens, I remember once I would feel that kind of euphoria of your first few drinks, I remember like checking in with my inner psyche and kind of going like tilting my head and going, Oh, this is probably not really good for you. And, you know, I ignored that intuition for another 20 years, but it was, it was definitely, there was a moment there where I was like, you probably shouldn't be messing with this fire water. It's not going to end well, but I just drank it away. Right. And I just pushed like, don't even, don't even mess with that. How did you grow up? Oh, well, I grew up in rural Colorado in a very agriculturally centric family on an orchard. And I'm an only child. I did good in school, though, which is probably one of the reasons that, like, it was, I don't know, it was kind of easy for me to hide any using. In fact, I smoked pot in my high school auditorium while I was still a student and didn't get caught. Oh, geez. I'm such that a rebel. <laughs> I haven't thought about that moment in a long time. But yeah, so I mean, that that's kind of how my childhood was. I had I really have great parents. I have no excuses or no real traumatic childhood experiences to run away from or or try to process through drinking that 
I, you know, I was that only child though. So I was often alone, which, you know, that could be part of the addiction cycle is that isolation. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of anything else on my childhood. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. There's this small fact of my dad was an active alcoholic from probably about two to eight, maybe. And I had this fantasy forever that that he quit drinking because I asked him to, which we'll come back around to. But no, he got a DUI and he had to quit. But he didn't really go the recovery path. Like he just quit and that was it. And so it wasn't really active. It, I didn't have an active alcoholic role model, if you will. For most of my adolescence, but it was it was definitely present in my very young years, um, and then later on, which we'll get to. Stay tuned. So, going by the decades, am I am I good to move on? You are good to go. This is your story. Okay. Tell it, baby. So, in my twenties, was I guess just the acceptable using period. You know, you're quote unquote, supposed to have fun and cut loose and do irresponsible things. So I definitely used that to my advantage. Yeah, there were some adventures that, again, those angels came into play to get me home safe. And shit I'm not proud of, that's for sure. But super grateful that I survived it. I had a girlfriend come and live with me. And she knew that she was drinking too much and she said would you come and uh would you go to an AA meeting with me and I was like sure I'm a supportive friend I probably drink too much as well so we went to a meeting together and she kind of came from a more religious background than I did I definitely did not grow up in any sort of religion my parents were just kind of spiritual so the you know, turning it over to a higher power verbiage that's in AA kind of scared the shit out of me. It really resonated with her, though. And so she cleaned up really from that those first few meetings that she went to in the early 2000s, I guess. And she's still sober today. And But I looked at those meetings and said, if... This is the only way to get clean. I'm going to keep drinking. So, yeah, so that was my very brief introduction with Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm I'm just so proud of my friend that has walked the sober path a lot longer than I have. And I'm so glad that it works for her and millions of others. Just wasn't my cup of tea. So I moved on with my using, but it was always... It always to the to the outsider seemed normal, seemed she doesn't have a problem. You know, it was that. But that tiny little voice inside of me still was like, this is not healthy. This is not good. You could do a lot better. And not in a negative, like comparative way, but more of like, there's a spark that you are you're drowning, literally. and. If you could remove alcohol from the equation and, you know, I'm looking at the word behind you, thrive, then live up to your full potential. But I kept ignoring that voice because it was so much more fun just to get loaded. So, you know, that other that other tiny voice always like kind of hoped for some sort of intervention in a weird way. like. What somebody please just tell me that this is ridiculous because I keep justifying it and y'all are going along with me and that's not okay. <laughs> so the the intervention really had to come from my own my own intr- intrinsic motivation and it finally did in 2020. We all know what happened in 2020 and at first I was like, "Oh, Fuck yeah, this is like a party all the time. My gosh, I can get wine delivered to my house. I don't even have to leave the 
Oh, oh my gosh. This is heaven on earth. And so for, let's see, April, May, June, July, for four months of, of lockdown, I drank all day, every day, just loaded all the time. I don't even know how much money I spent. It was ridiculous though. And that is really when I was like, pause, this is not okay anymore. And I was so desperate because I, I had in the past, you know, done cleanses or gone on diets, or done challenges where I cut alcohol out for a while, but it could never stick. And I honestly had never really committed to it either. I had always had the like, I'm just doing this cleanse. I'm just on this diet. Like this is temporary. I don't have to commit to drink to not drinking forever. And so once in the in July of 2020 when I was like, okay, this I really need to I really need to rein this in. I need to stop. This is out of hand. That internal dialogue scared the shit out of me because I knew on that deep level that it was going to be really hard. And I wasn't sure that I could do it. And so I actually picked up the phone and I reached out to my doctor and made an appointment. And I got to the doctor's office and I was like trembling in fear, right? Like, never mind that it's a pandemic. So there's like that layer of fear. But then I was like, I'm about to bare my soul to this woman and tell her that I'm, I'm having trouble. And as a also recovering perfectionist, that was really, really scary. So I walked into the doctor's office and the receptionist, you know, they usually say, hello, what's your name? When to, you know, who are you here to see? What's your appointment? Da, da, da. She just looks at me. She goes, name. And I said, Sheffy. And she says, she looks at her computer, types away. She looks back at me just straight faced and she says, you owe us $138. And I was like, okay, do you know that I'm about to self-combust over here? Of course you don't, but I really don't want to talk about money right now. And so I said, you know, I was, I, I will totally own that I was on edge and that my reply was not very nice. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of, can we talk about this after my appointment? <laughs> and she was adamant that I was going to pay $138 before I saw the doctor. And I was like, there's, I've, you know, back to that little internal voice. There's, there's been another loop that goes through my mind. And that is the door's not even locked. And, you know, I was in so much fear and anxiety in that moment that it I think also you know that fight or flight kicked in and I was like you don't have to stand here and take this from this woman like the door's not even locked and so I turned on my heel and I walked out the door and you know that could have meant that I went right back into addiction but what I did was I got in my car of course the tears came then and I just kind of contemplated and where I live, it's very hot in July. <laughs> so during the AC on full blast and just let it hit my face. And I just tried to relax for a few moments. And once I was a little bit more calm, I called a good girlfriend and I said, who's your doctor? And that conversation was only about 30 seconds long because I'm sure she knew I was, you know, at critical mass there. So she told me her doctor's name. I said, thank you. I'll call you later. And I called my friend's doctor. And at this point, I was so raw and exposed. I just told the receptionist, I need help quitting drinking. And she was like, well, she is taking new patients, but she's not taking new patients for two weeks. I was like, oh, God. Okay. Okay, Christina, you can do this. You could do anything for two weeks can do anything for 24 hours. Just do this one 24-hour moment at a time. So I said, fine, let's, you know, sign me up. And a funny aside here was while I was making that 
that appointment, my car, you know, most of our cars have the the Bluetooth, right? So conversations can still be heard outside of the car. Well, that receptionist in my first doctor's office walked out into the parking lot because I was still in the parking lot. And it was pretty clear that she wanted to apologize to me. And I had the window cracked a little bit. And because I am who I am, I gave her the side eye and raised a finger and was like, I will be with you in a moment. And I finished up the conversation. And by the time I was done with the conversation, she had actually walked away. So I never did hear from that doctor's office again. I did not pay the $138, (laughs) but I did make an appointment for getting some help. And so for those next two weeks, oh my gosh, it was so hard, so hard to stay sober. I really don't know how I did it. I think I was so desperate that I just like, it was like, get loaded and feel like shit or don't. Was really like, I'll talk later probably about kind of that black and white thinking, but it was really, there was no other option. And while it was extremely hard, and I will not sugarcoat those first few days of sobriety because they suck. But if you can hold on, drink some water, do all of the things that you need to, to get through them, then it's so worth it. So worth it. So I got to that doctor's appointment and I'm like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I need some drugs to quit drinking. Like all of my, you know, perfectionism. I probably look like shit. Like, I don't even remember. It was such a blur. But, you know, I was just so desperate. And at that time, all I knew about was an abuse. And I was like, whatever it takes, man. And she was like, well, there's this other thing that'll help reduce cravings and if we can get you set up with a therapist and try this I think that might be a better route for you and you know had I not made that call da 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 I wouldn't have had that option I didn't even know that was an option so I was so grateful to to have another route besides an abuse where I would get sick if I did slip but again I was so desperate that I was I was willing to to get sick if I slipped just to try to stop this cycle so I got a really great therapist and of course this was in the the time of telehealth so we met weekly on zoom and she said what's your sober date and I was like wow I haven't even actually considered it because I never really thought it was going to happen. But, it, you know, I at the point that I met her, I was probably about three weeks sober. And so I literally looked back in my calendar and was like, okay, when did I really throw in the towel? And, you know, I, I believe that I did not count those first days because I did not think I could do it. And I thought, if I start keeping track of this and then I blow it, then... I'm going to feel like a failure. So with the help of that therapist, I backtracked and and figured out my sober date of July 19th. And she says, you need to start counting days. I was like, that seems so terrifying, but liberating in the same, in the same breath. So I started counting days, kept meeting with her, kept talking about it, and had you know, I got to three months and I could tell she was like, you need a community. You you need to go find some other peeps. So I just Googled or, you know, got into the Play Store or whatever. And I was like, I need a day counter for sobriety. And that's where I found the I Am Sober app and literally just used it to count days until I probably got to maybe four months. And then I started messing around with the community, you know, looking at people's posts, looking forward for inspiration, 
reliving through some first day posts of the absolute hell that is the detox. And then there was a Zoom meeting. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. So I logged in and when they, after they went through kind of the, the introductions in the main main room and they broke into small groups, that's when I knew like that was the format that was going to work for me to share. Because while I, you know, am fine as a public speaker and if you give me a group to lead, I will do it. If you just ask me in a group of more than eight people what I'm up to, I'm going to say, oh, I'm good. And like, that's where my conversation is going to stop. Because I just for a long time did not find myself that interesting. And I thought I would rather hear somebody else's story. So I usually was the one that did the question asking. So when we were in a small group of, you know, three, four five people or whatever, it was so much more intimate and so much easier to say, okay, this is my struggle. Are you having this struggle? What did you do to get out of this struggle, et cetera? And, you know, and as an aside to that, too, when I was in those early few months when I was meeting with the counselor and I was seeking community slowly, I kept wanting like a how-to manual. How do you, you know, and that's what AA gives you, which is beautiful. But as I explained, that wasn't going to be my path. So I was like, where, what is, how, just tell me how to do it. I will do it. I am a good student. And I read so many quit lit books at, that just were not available 20 years ago. You know, this, this living sober out loud thing was not as catchy as it is now. So I was so grateful when I was reading these quit lit books that were really you know more neurological based or just kind of finding what works for you and so it eventually it came down to me saying to myself okay there is no one exact way to do this and i can get tips and hints and tricks from people but really this path is up to me and my two feet I have to figure it out. And when I kind of came to that realization, it made that seeking outside of myself thing much less. And it also brought down the, you're doing it wrong. This isn't how everybody else does it. And so I was able to kind of accept where I was at and say, you know, this is what's going to work for me today. It might not work for me next Tuesday, but maybe something else will. So I went to lots of Zoom rooms and I hosted some Zoom rooms and really got immersed in this community. And they have, through these last three, almost three years, they have really propped me up in so many different ways. The meeting up in person is just magical. It really is. It is like meeting long lost friends that you haven't seen in 20 years and you can just drop into conversation. And I'm, you know, another thing though, is like, I'm so grateful. I don't know quite how to phrase this, but to say in all of these meetups for myself personally, nothing weird has happened. <laughs> like everybody presents how, as they are, even in person, which I don't think happens in every single online community. <laughs> So, that was worried about the serial killer. Right? Yeah. I mean, I know statistics, you know, there, there's probably some weirdos out there, but I was glad my path hasn't crossed with them. <laughs> so feel free to, to edit that out, Drifter. I was like, we're not serial killers because we drink. So how was it to even volunteer? Because let alone attend what it took me 11 months. So... To volunteer to do to host, is that what you mean? Yeah, it's like heartbeat. I mean, for me, <laughs> well, I think that I think that probably it actually came natural to me because I 
am kind of a, even though I'm quiet in a group, if there's a need to lead, I will raise my hand. I can organize people pretty well. So I, well, and they asked too, right? It was, hey, we need a host for this time slot next month. And I'm like, sure. Like I'm literally sitting in my living room, like nobody's going to judge me. So it wasn't, yeah, it, it did not freak me out. I think also that I can look back on, I did speech and debate through high school. Public speaking is, it does not make me quake in my boots like it does for a lot of people. So it wasn't, it wasn't too intimidating for me to want to host. Plus I wanted to share some of the stuff that had helped me, you know, the, the song is a big piece of our of the format but i wanted to share some meditations you know i wanted to share some quick five minute speeches little ted talk versions you know i wanted to introduce people to Brene brown i wanted to kind of just share some other resources so that was that's why i raised my hand to to host that's how i remember meeting you was the first well, I had seen glimpses of you, but cascade through the, we got clean on the screen, <laughs> but it was the first time in the ladies Zoom that I saw you host and you had the Brene Brown come up and it was the difference between empathy, you know, sympathy. Yeah. Hi, the little cartoon. <laughs> it was like, this is, this is mind blowing. This is a beautiful woman, you know, this putting this that has taken her time, her energy, and her love to actually put this together. So for me, coming in and, and being new, it was, what care? What care? And, you know, I mean, I want you to speak about this, but it, it's everything that you've done. Like, even the shirt that I'm wearing that our listeners won't, <laughs> won't see, but even the shirt that I'm wearing she has come about and and volunteered hey we had meetups one in utah one in san luis obispo and out of her her desire to do something and contribute these shirts were born yeah yeah i think it you know i i always enjoy when people notice details and express that care so i think it comes reciprocal for me to want to give back and when you have something small that you can share, like I like doing graphic design. I own a cricket. Making some t-shirts seemed pretty natural. And but I I really appreciate that word care that you used for the for the zooms because that is exactly it. I knew on a deep level that people were gonna come to that space who needed a hug. And while it couldn't be physical, I could do my best to deliver it virtually. And so it was a, a curation of tools of care, of comfort to just kind of welcome people into the sober world in a way that I had never been welcomed. That's not 100% true. I absolutely had been in Zoom rooms with I, I Am Sober. What I mean is previous to that, you know, that AA room was full of smoke and drinking coffee and just a bunch of war stories to me. And, you know, I you probably sense that I kind of skipped over a lot of my past because it's for me, it's more about where do I go now? And 100 percent, my my using and abusing and my getting sober story will help somebody or resonate with somebody. But that is not the stuff that I want to focus on, if that makes sense. This is your story, like, babe. Well, I mean, I'm happy to I'm happy to go through it, but I, I what I guess I mean is I don't want to tell the stories about getting super blackout drunk and having a one night stand because that doesn't help me to grow. Mm -hmm. That is just a that's a blip on the past radar and now that i have some sober time and i'm moving through life in really a different way in a different style i want to be able to offer some hope and some 
kind of look forward, look ahead to the to the gifts of sobriety, to the to the joy that really comes from seeing the world in technicolor, unfiltered. So, you know, I shared earlier that I'm about to have my master's degree. I never would have done that if I was still drinking. I mean, I'm almost 20 years out of college, but I was like, I'm going to go back to school. And I, you know, I am not of the mind of you're too old to do anything that that is baloney to me. So I'm very proud of going back to school at the age that I am and and earning a master's degree. But that would not have even crossed my mind when if I was still drinking. So, and I actually justified the master's, you know, the I am sober does a calculation of how much money you would have spent booze, right? I'm like, oh, well, I should just get a master's. So instead of, you know, a trashed liver and lots of empty bottles in the recycle, I have some letters after my name now. That is such a beautiful testimony to what the evolution of Sheffy. So it's like the evolution that you start off on the app. And then, because I remember, if memory serves me, we both, it, you have more supper time. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is because we didn't have as many Zooms as we have now. Mm-hmm. It was very minuscule in comparison. I think, I don't know, you even started before I did. So getting clean on the screen was just, it was honestly, I don't think there were many. How many were there when you began? Yeah, I think there was, I know there was one per week for sure. That was the Saturday morning in my time zone. And then there was like a weeknight evening. So I think there were only two meetings a week. And while I love the format of several meetings every day, those two meetings were so easy for me to remember. And they actually, I I don't know if I'm going to articulate this right, but like I would, in my mind, I would be like, I can't let him down. I got to stay sober until Tuesday night or whatever the meeting was, right? So I can't reset because I got to go see my friends and I don't want to be like, oh, I'm back to day one, which happens, right? It's a beautiful thing. Relapsing is a whole nother topic, but I didn't want to let my friends down. And so with a couple days between each meeting, that was like more motivation to stay sober longer, I think is what I'm trying to say. No, I totally understand. Yeah. Because it was so, there was so, so little times that, w- that was the interaction that you were like, mm-hmm. and in in our journey, it's whatever keeps us sober, right? Whatever, right. whatever it is. Hey, I, you know, for some people, it's, I got to stay sober for my pets. I got to stay sober for my, for my, you know. So Mm -hmm. in your case, this is your journey. That was your, I can't let them down. That's beautiful. And that's why community and connection, connection beats addiction, you know. Yeah. So tell us what, what, what has happened from your journey? Because I've seen you do a lot of things. Like you, you've gone a lot of places. I I love to travel. You know, I don't have children by choice. And so any of my extra money that used to be drinking money has gone obviously into my education, but also into travel. So my first couple of sober summers, since I work in education, I have a couple weeks off or a couple months off in the summer. I did actually like plan my routes around people that I wanted to meet in person. And so I went to Utah. I went to Denver. I remember my first soberversary was in Denver. And I invited several ladies from kind of the Denver area to this sweet little downtown Airbnb. And we had ourselves a little sober party on the roof. So, yeah, it was it was important to me to to make those solid connections with people to say we are doing this together and if i have a bad day i know i can call you and to really like meet somebody in person 
and give them a hug and say, you're in my corner. I'm in your corner. We can do this. And you can call me. It was really important to me to make those connections in those first couple of sober summers and really just a couple of sober years. I saw you. I would see you pop up <laughs> like in a, like a will. Where's Waldo? She's in Canada. <laughs> He's beautiful. <laughs> you saw Jamie Jess too. Uh-huh. Yep. It's like, how did that one come about? Yeah, the, the, the Canada trip was awesome. I met three of my very favorite women on IAS on that trip. And again, it was like, you know, we have completely different paths or completely different pasts. But when we can come together and we all have this common goal of not drinking, not using, it just tightens the gap between us so quickly that all of the like small talk and niceties and all of that stuff falls away and we can just really talk about you know what is really on our hearts and that is something I've never experienced with anyone you know before sobriety that just was not a thing but it you know to circle back to that little voice in my head that was like this isn't good for you on some level I think drinking separated me from that opportunity to have those deep connections with people and whatever reason I'm not going to blame anything or anybody that was just the path that I took for a long time but when I slowed down and listened to that little voice it's like this is keeping you away from your true connection and I stopped drinking and met amazing people yourself included and I got to break down those walls and really have meaningful communication meaningful conversations that that's what fills my cup you know you said do whatever it takes and hashing through shit with friends that have been there fills my cup that is sometimes what I got to do <laughs> so there's magic there is there really is to allow you know to see the to see vulnerability because that's what we are is we're just vulnerable there mm -hmm. the substance is gone so it's like there's no veil the veil the veil's dropped okay so unfiltered unfiltered this last one that i met you in utah you brought rocks paint <laughs> Tell us that is care. That is care. Beautiful <laughs> care. How did the that? Well, so you know, another element I think to those to those easy conversations for me at least is to kind of be doing something. You know, I I cook for a living, so when I have a party and I'm busy in the kitchen, it's my hands are busy and it's easier for me to flow into conversation if i'm just sitting neatly on the sofa with a cup of tea it's a little harder for me to just converse so the rocks you know the arts and crafts which is another thing that has actually really blossomed in sobriety is is the craft and the art but yeah to just kind of have something for people to do to connect to exchange I think we all, as adults, can be so hard on ourselves about doing childlike things. And I, I sometimes call myself fun inhibited because I don't have fun all the time. I take myself so damn seriously. And so if I can, like, honestly, sometimes it takes this, fucking schedule some fun, then I do it. I've had a great time. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to do that again. <laughs> so the the painting of the rocks was, you know, just a contribution to say, here's a maybe a little memento from this hopefully impactful experience for all the people that gathered there. Definitely, it's it. 
you did the cookout. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, I mean, all of this is you. It's a you, but it's also the sobriety bringing out the gifts in you. The mm-hmm. gifts that we just, you know, thought that were just covered up. Yeah. So tell tell us about that, how it feels like all of those areas, the arts and crafts, the the cookouts and just just being so damn amazing. Well, you know, I think it it comes back to maybe the, I don't know if this is an aging thing, too, but like I'm just more confident in my own skin. And I don't need a substance to tell me that I'm cool anymore. And it's that I sound so arrogant, but I mean, because there's still days. And I just came through a really, really rough patch, honestly, where I have been very depressed and very down. And the difference now is that, well, there's lots of differences. I have a community that has my back. I can reach out to people any time of day and they will say, I'm sorry that this is tough for you. Don't drink. And sometimes it really needs to be that simple. But I also, I know, I don't know the length of, but I know this too shall pass. And I have people that will be like, have you gone for a walk? Have you seen the sun lately? You know, get your ass outside, go get some exercise. And I didn't have that same sort of support network when I was drinking or, or let's see, it sounded more like, let's go have champagne. So the, the true care, the true health, the, the more, the more sustainable choices are made in sobriety to, to keep myself healthy, to kind of, you know, ride those depressive waves, even though they suck. And it really is hard for me to not know when they're going to end because I do like a plan. I do like structure, which trips me up on having fun. You know, Viv, like you reached out to me or just like, I'm just thinking about you. Just hoping you're having a good day. And you know, nobody fucking did that when I was drinking. They would be like, yeah, you did some stupid shit last night. You know, so that the level of support is so much healthier and sustainable and genuine in sobriety that it's just natural to want to perpetuate that by whatever bringing rocks making food you know whatever can feed those relationships literally is something i'm down for and i i love just that and also as a spectator on my side to be able to see you with the travel like i've seen you visit so many different people i'm like you go girl that you know it's so it's it's such another level to be able to show up where we want to show up because we know that we're going to be sober that's like an up level of living that right it yeah it really is although i will admit that sometimes i feel like shrek like a big ogre who is not like anybody else it's a beautiful woman don't let her fool you. She is a very beautiful woman. But I mean, what we're doing is totally against the flow. And I don't care what country you're in or what city you're in listening to this. Like, alcohol is normal. Sobriety right now is not. And it takes grit, determination, drive sometimes, and absolute like fuck it and not the fuck it button that's different but like fuck it what other people think of me i have to do this for me and it takes that and that is so not what we are taught so wherever you're at in sobriety right now 
stick with it. It will get better. I promise. And that's definitely true. And, you know, right now when you were speaking about depression, you wanted an end date. You wanted the contract. Yeah. But you know what? It's so beautiful because I witnessed this about you. I didn't know it was. I knew you You were like, I'm having a shitty day. Where's the meeting? Amazing. That's the flex. That's the flex. How, how did you come to that realization that that was the flex? Well, I knew I would come back to this black and white thinking, which is something I'm working on all the time. But black and white thinking helped me in the beginning because my brain wanted me to moderate and wanted harm reduction and wanted, you know, just one or you've earned it or all of those justifications that go through our mind. And I had to say no, zero, nil, none. My answer to alcohol is no, hard stop. And so the flip side of that was the meetings, the Zooms. Like, okay, I feel like I want to drink. I need, you know, there's a, there's a meeting in 35 minutes. I can make it to that. Or I need to drink. I'm going to reach out to a friend on the phone. And so it was that it was just the, it was just the answer in the moment. Like it, it was drink or go to a Zoom. And, you know, I had already made that very hard decision, hard line decision of no, I'm not drinking. So the other option is go to a Zoom. That is then just to see what, what's going to happen, right? Because it's, we don't know who's going to be there. Right. We don't know what the topic's going to be. Well, and the, you know, the, the, the flexibility of not having to stick to a topic. Like if you're really like, I'm about to crash and burn you guys. Help me out here. Having that option is such a beautiful thing. So important. So tell me about... Okay, when then we met in San Luis Obispo. Because one is, one I see. I mean, I can, I can see the one-on-one. And then, you know, the, the group in Utah. I, but then, you know, groups now. There are groups. We got groups going on. We do have groups going on. I'm glad you triggered my memory on all of that. Because let me step back. Oh, my gosh. Almost a year. My father has the same sober date as I do. Two years later, but but pretty fucking awesome. And I got to take my dad to San Luis Obispo. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Okay. Excited. Well, okay, let me say first that nobody comes to the sober path out their own intrinsic drive to do it. And sometimes it takes a little bit of help. And I mentioned that, you know, weird, dualistic desire to have some sort of an intervention when I was probably in my, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s of just wishing somebody would tell me to quit drinking. And I took that little nugget that I, that I had in my own self and approached my dad about his, he had relapsed probably 10 years ago. And as we know about alcoholism, it's a progressive disorder. And so he had spiraled into pretty heavy using. And I thought, okay, he's retired. He, it's his own business. I'm doing my thing. He's doing his thing. Like, it's not impacting me. Well, then it did. And that's when I had to say, okay, dad, I love you. And I don't want you to drink yourself into the grave. If that is your choice, that is your choice. But I will not sit here and watch it. And he took what I said seriously to heart. And I thank my lucky stars every day. Because he quit drinking July 19th, 2022. 
Yeah. So he, you know, I, I did for him because he's very close to me geographically. I did for him everything that I wish I had had in my first week of sobriety. I brought him food. I brought him 18,000 different kinds of fizzy waters and sodas. I brought him flowers. I called him daily. I just checked on him and didn't hold any sort of judgment towards him. I just reached out every day. I told him what I was doing. I didn't expect him to share anything. And, you know, the, the days started racking up for him. And I said, I brought him Quitlet books, you know, and I said, I, I found this really cool app. Maybe you would like to come to the Zooms. And at that point, they had started with the men's rooms. And I thought that's probably going to be the best placement for him since he's, he's an older guy. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I thought he would just probably be more comfortable in a men only kind of room. and. So he's been a regular attender of the Sunday morning I Am Sober Zoom for men for almost a year. So when it, his birthday, his 83rd birthday, was very close to that San Luis Obispo meetup. And it was just, let me say, in from his 70th, then his 75th, then his 80th, we had always gone to Las Vegas and just partied it up for a whole weekend. Happy birthday, Dad. You made it to 75. Let's get loaded. So, you know, now that he's 80, and now we're like celebrating every year, although he's in excellent health, honestly. But so it was like, okay, this is 83rd. Who cares? I was like, do you want to go to San Luis Obispo and hang out with a bunch of sober people? Instead of going to Las Vegas. And without hesitating, he was like, yeah. And, you know, and I think the one of the other just beautiful things about sobriety in this very special relationship with my dad now is that I can say things to him like, I want to go experience this sober with you. I want to make these memories that we're actually going to remember, but, you know, that we're actually going to cherish as well. And so that that kayaking trip, girl, yeah, that is going to live in my mind forever. It was such a special time. And I just appreciate things on a whole nother level. I mean, it's almost exhausting how beautiful life can really be if you slow down and take a moment to look at it. And I am the first one to get tripped up in my own mind and say, I'm not good enough. This isn't, you know, fill in the blank of, of self-deprecation. But it comes from that, from that darkness comes this renewed sense of appreciation, this different outlook that life really is precious. and we really we really deserve to experience it fully and it's even more special to share that with family members i know i'm a rare case i know this is this does not happen very often which makes me appreciate it even more but i think it's so beautiful because you're also the ripple effect around you yeah that's what's yeah, right my my husband is super supportive. He doesn't really, he never, he would, whatever. He drank because I drank. And when I quit, at first I was like, please don't have anything in the house for a while. And he honored that. And then I got my sober legs under me a little more. And he's, and I was like, you, whatever, you can bring beer home. I don't care, but you got to go buy it. You know, I used to be the, the, the purchaser and he just doesn't. It just isn't part of his life, which, you know, I'm a little jealous of, but whatever. You do. What do you mean you can only have one? We call them the muggles when they're normal. <laughs> for sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, so I think in looking back, I think I also want to mention 
we also not only did we celebrate your birthday, we celebrated you and your dad being there. And he just fell into being one of the group. He just melted in, you know? Yeah. You know, he's an only child too. And I don't know, you know, that probably doesn't really have much to do with it, but it is really neat that he was, he's able to just kind of fall into place or, you know, adapt and, and be part of the group. And that flexibility is, has just always been a part of him. He's very adaptable. And I, I think I've definitely taken on that trait from him, despite my sometimes black and white thinking. I try to be innovative and, and come up with other ideas, workarounds. That's, that should be my middle name. <laughs> should be workaround. I love it. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> so what does Sheffy have in the future? Well, that is a really excellent question. And reflection is definitely my MO for summertime. Being done with this master's program and having some time off of work is is really what the doctor ordered right now. So I don't have any big, huge announcements or monumental plans besides still traveling as much as I can. And I don't know, maybe a new tattoo. Well, oh, here's a little clip on mental health really quick. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how to start this. I am also a certified yoga teacher. And <laughs> was that prior to sobriety or because? That was prior to sobriety. That was, I got introduced to yoga when I was about 18. And that has been a constant through my whole life. So in, in 2005, I got certified. But where I was going with this was that I, I have been teaching a class, a yoga class, mindfulness class to my coworkers for part of the school year. And I invited one of my personal mentors and, and yoga teachers to come in and kind of do like a little guest presentation. And I hadn't seen her. I'd talked to her, but I hadn't seen her in about a year. And she's a retired teacher as well. And we didn't have a lot of time to just kind of catch up and, and communicate. She kind of came and did her thing. And then it was the end of the day and it was time to go home. And I, but I had a moment where I was reflecting on, on our interaction. Cause you know, she's known me 10 years probably. And so she saw me in my heaviest drinking days and you know we were just kind of trying to catch up as much as we could in this this small little, little interaction and i immediately and i don't know why i maybe mean, doesn't even need to be known but took on that like i'm fine everything's great kind of persona and when i looked back at the interaction and this comes back around to this depression that's starting to lift was holy shit christina you have gotten like seven fucking tattoos and your goddamn hair is blue since the last time you saw this woman you're not fucking fine so what i'm trying to get at here is that that it's a double-edged sword i could you know my my rogue like renegade kind of exterior and can also be interpreted as like she's jumped off the deep end but i also wouldn't have the balls to dye my hair blue if i was still drinking because i would feel way too self-conscious or self-conscious about it so in sobriety i have like this like this can do attitude like Rosie the Riveter, man, like, fuck them. Dye your hair blue. What are they going to do? You want another tattoo? Do it. You're just a badass. Well, I don't mean throw caution to the wind, right? But it's it's also this this new sense of security of, like, fully presenting and fully showing up for myself and doing what I want to do 
not what society has tried to tell me I should do. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> that is the truth. That is the mic drop. The All of this is we're not conforming to society. Mm-hmm. Sober. We're the sober ones. Yeah. Ah. And I also wanted to bring around, you're going to a big meetup. How many of you are meeting? Yeah. I think there'll probably be about 40. <laughs> no. There's like, there's almost 80 on the Telegram group, but you know, not all of them are going to show. So I'm pretty sure there's around 35 or 40 that are committed. So, I mean, from New Zealand, Canada. Yeah, people don't don't just fly across the world to like play tic tac toe. You know, there this is this is real. This is meeting up in person and saying, "Here's my scar. Show me yours." It's so powerful, and it's just not something for me, at least, that was ever modeled or explored. You know. I swear my family's English or something because I've there's like no emotion. Like your cat died. Like no tears. Like it and it I'm like, okay, that's weird, but whatever. That okay. You know, I tried for so long to just be okay with that. I it is what it is. I'm not gonna try to make them, you know, bear their soul to me. But when we meet up with these groups, it's it is that deep soul connection that I think a lot of humans crave. And that gets fulfilled when we're actually able to show up without the masks, without the veil. Like we can just truly be ourselves and connect with other people that are trying to do the same goddamn hard thing every day, which is stay sober. Stay sober. Be authentic, walk in our own skin. Mm-hmm. The itchy sweater sometimes, you know, feel. <laughs> but we're like, okay, I'm going to show up with the itchy sweater. But yep, two sizes too tight. That's great. <laughs> Somebody here might have a silk camisole they'll let me put on underneath it. This is the beauty. You know, in, in our last one in San, Lu- San Luis Obispo from England. Yeah. Cool. Right? And it's just, it's, this is so much bigger than ourselves. And your impact is with the Zooms and with showing up and with doing this. This is an impact and an imprint on this, this earth, this universe. Beautiful. Well, thank you for inviting me. No, it's my honor. My honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. So. One of the last questions that I like to ask, what would you say to someone on their day one on the, on the app or day one, wherever you are, what would you say to that person right now? I would say, ignore what society is telling you you should do. Hair of the dog is bullshit. Ignore the side eye from your partner. If you need to lay on the couch all day, lay on the couch all day. Try to get some sunshine, drink lots of water, and reach out. Getting trapped in your own head is a really hard place to get out of. And if you can even extend a fingertip, part of your hand, out to somebody who is walking the sober path, they will reach out, they will grab it, they will pull you along. But they can't come and find you, you know, in a cave. We have to, we have to do the work first to, to reach out and say, help me. And, you know, really it is do whatever it takes to stay sober. And if that is smoking eight packs of cigarettes, you can tackle that horse later you know if it is drinking copious amounts of coffee it's okay sugar oh boy that's a huge one right 
when we are in our day one, our body is like, where's all that sugar we used to get from alcohol? So eat all of the M&Ms. Eat the gummy bears. That is something to, to worry about later. In days 0, 1, 7, 14, it is so paramount to just say no to alcohol, a hard no. End to stop. That is it. Make the decision. Don't let your mind try to convince you otherwise. It's going to be a crafty bitch. It's going to be like, well, it's Friday. Or, well, she just had one. Or maybe we'll just have a half a one. Or I've been there. I've been there. And it's exhausting to have to negotiate with yourself. So if it's just a hard no, then there's no conversation. There's no further questioning and go easy on yourself that's number one it will get better give yourself time beautiful i'm not crying yes thanks for putting me back in that kind of that well maybe thanks is the wrong word it was nice to revisit those first few days to say to somebody else you know what i wish i would have had and yeah, that's a great last question. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much. I enjoy having you on. And thank you so much for being so transparent. You bet. You're easy to talk to, Viv. All right. Well, with this, we will end Duffy's recovery story. And you know what? She's going to be our Where's Waldo? Something to a Zoom box near you. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. And yeah, check out, if you want, whoever's listening out there, you can check out our Moab, Utah get together. I'm still working on the San Luis Obispo. I've got that. But I, you know, I just wanted to say that never did I ever think that in sobriety, I was going to meet to send such kindred spirits. Thank you. 100%. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, tell a friend or someone you know, pass this podcast on. And my information is Viv, founder of SoberIThrive.org. I'm an internationally certified in addiction recovery other known as a sober coach and a life coach too. My certifications encompass the neuroscience of joyful recovery, roots of addictions, alcohol and its effects, dynamics of professional recovery coaching, motivation to change, right thinking in recovery, family issues in recovery, codependent behaviors in addiction, and ethical and legal issues in professional recovery coaching. Go to my website, SoberIThrive.org, and book your free, confidential, 30-minute call. We can help create the sober warrior within you.